Well, I'd like to invite Chuck up as soon as he can, and, and uh, we'd like to welcome you again. Uh, Chuck's been here, as I mentioned, a number of times, and so we're kind of getting to know you, and uh, really appreciate your messages, and appreciate you filling in for Pastor Kevin. Uh, while Chuck is fairly, pretty heavily involved, if I remember right, in your own local church or your church that you attend in the ministry program there, uh, Chuck owns uh, one or two businesses. He's in two businesses, and he's also attended Denver Seminary, right? And uh, Chuck and uh, Kevin have developed a really close friendship and, and a connection with Denver Seminary since Kevin had gone there too as well. So, Chuck, I'd invite you up and welcome you to uh, bring the morning message. Thank you. Yeah. All righty. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. So, yeah, I, uh, let's all keep um, just the Santiago family and in our prayers. Um, just it's, it's tough just having a kid, much less having uh, postpartum complications. So, and then uh, poor Kevin has to change all the diapers. So that's always a little, a little rough. But... Uh, no, it's kind of cool. They named the little guy Everett. Um, my cousin uh, just had a kid, so I don't know what that would be, like a second cousin or something like that. Uh, his name's Everett, and that was my grandfather's name. Uh, so it's, it, I guess that game name's coming back. I talked to Kevin. Kevin was like, um, oh, that's funny. I thought I picked a unique name that nobody else had, and I'm like, I guess it's coming back. Everett's coming back, so it's a cool name. Um, man, every time I come here, you guys always pick some of my favorite songs. Um, today you guys sang How Great Thou Art. I love that song. Lyrically, it's one of the like theologically deepest songs. Um, I always love the last verse. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. What an amazing song. I love that song. I just have to say that. So, um, All right, so today we're going to continue the uh, series that Kevin started of misquoting God, misquoting God. And uh, there are so many passages in scriptures um, that, you know, I'm sure we've all heard that have been misquoted, misapplied, uh, taken out of context, and, and so on. Um, there were some kind of hot topic ones that I decided not to pick today, ones that, you know, can be political or whatever else. Also, I know that you guys have kind of touched on some of the prosperity stuff, and there's a ton of scriptures on those, but I chose to go a little different direction today, uh, and that was in the scripture reading today. So has anybody ever heard that one before, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5? You guys ever heard that one before? I, I, I've definitely heard it before, I'm quite a bit, you know, uh, spoken uh, in verse 5, it specifically says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So that's the one that I always hear. You've got to take captive every thought. I hear it thrown around a lot. Um, maybe you're having a bad day. You're thinking evil thoughts towards your neighbor because they did something that you don't like, or you're family member has an opposing political view from you, and so you want to just, you know, jump down their throat or strangle them or whatever, and you're like, oh, take captive every thought, take captive every thought. Has anybody ever had that uh, thrown at them before? I certainly have. And it fits kind of our American mantra, right, of individualism and kind of taking control of yourself 
and and that's that's where this this comes from. So um, yeah, I appreciate Phil um, just kind of introducing me today. You know, I for those of you that don't know me, um, you know my my wife here, Elizabeth. She's she's awesome. She's my wonderful wonderful wife uh, and support. And then I have two kids. A uh, little uh, you, I don't know if you guys saw my daughter there. She's eight. That's Rebecca. And then I got a little two-year-old William. He's he's fun. He's two as well. So. <laughs> They're fun and they're crazy at the same time. Um, but yeah, I, I'm attending Denver Seminary this summer. I kind of took the time off, but uh, three more weeks here and I'm back to school. So uh, buckle up. And I'm, doing, I'm starting Greek this term. So yeah, pray for me on that one. That'll be a toughie. Uh, but yeah, Kevin and I have been great, uh, great friends for a bit here, um, especially th- even through the pandemic, which has been, you know, interesting for all of us. Uh, but he's, uh, he's a great friend, great support to me, and, uh, and I know to you guys as well. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and read this whole passage once again here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. And this is Paul, once again, writing a letter to the Corinthians. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is a great passage of Scripture. There's a lot going on here, but we really got to understand it in context. You know, I was looking up some, uh, some stuff online just to find some, some people who classically misappropriate this, this passage. And so I want to read a, a quote from a, a blog that shall remain unnamed, okay? But it said, this, this is like literally what they said here in this. They said, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. That means that I have a chance to do something about all thoughts that are not well-pleasing to God before they enter my heart and become a part of me. And then they quote, They quote, as a man thinks, so he is, from Proverbs 23, verse 7. And then they said, what we think about is crucial to who we are. Now, this isn't inherently incorrect or theologically wrong. It's just a misappropriation of not only 1 Corinthians 10, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, but also, interestingly, Proverbs 27, 7, or 23, 7 actually doesn't say that. It doesn't actually say, as a man thinks, so he is. When that's a whole nother, maybe we could do another misquoting God just on that passage. So um, that's one of those rough ones where you take King James and you sort of don't understand the language of the 1600s and then you try and apply it to today's world. A little off there. But um, this isn't inherently incorrect. Like, yes, we should have control of our thoughts. We should have our thoughts be well-pleasing to God. We should have Jesus reign over all of our thoughts but this passage, isn't, that's not quite what this is talking about. Um, I got a quote here from a, a theologian, R. Scott Clark. He said, the impression, now this is him talking about this passage right here in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, the impression with which I was left for a number of years is that when Paul wrote these words, he was articulating a global program for the way he and all Christians ought to relate the Christian faith to every aspect of life. I mean, that's basically what, this, what people do when they read this scripture and say it. And once again, that generic use of this passage isn't altogether wrong. 
But it's vitally important to understand the passage in its original context before we then apply it to our modern context and to our lives. I, I'm sure, I, Kevin might have explained this to you guys before. It's, it's the, I'll, I'll use some nerdy theo, theological terms. You guys ever heard the term exegesis before? So exegesis technically is, okay, what was Paul saying to the Corinthian church way back in the first century, which was a radically different culture, radically different context. They had different technology. They didn't have a fancy microphone. They didn't have Facebook. Everything was, you know, they were under the Roman, Roman Empire. Corinth was a colony of the Romans, so it was originally destroyed by the Romans when they came in there. It was when it was a Greek city. Then they set it up as a colony for retired soldiers. Very different context, very different philosophies. Everything was different. So a good exegesis is going, okay, what is Paul saying to the Corinthians in the context of this letter? And it's a little tough sometimes because we're reading somebody else's mail, basically. This is like you going to your neighbor's mailbox, pulling out a letter and finding a letter that was a correspondence between maybe your neighbor and their mother, but only getting one side of the story. Because we don't actually know what the Corinthians had originally written Paul. So this is kind of a response to that. So we have to kind of do a little bit of homework and a little research. And that's why it's important to use maybe a study Bible or some commentaries, or you can just ask Kevin um, and get some good background on what's going on so we can then kind of piece together the puzzle and figure out what's going on. So I have a, a little point. I have one point for you guys today. So you only have to remember one thing, okay? Here it is. Take captive every scripture and make it obedient to its context. There you go. That's my little take on this, this passage here. So take captive every scripture and make it obedient to, it, to its context. A little tongue-in-cheek there for you. Before we get into what this actually means, let's talk about what it doesn't mean, okay? This passage is not about mental health. If we're trying to apply this passage to mental health, you're in effect basically telling the person to get over it or to just repent of their thoughts. They just need to take captive their thoughts and just change and think right, think correctly, think spiritually, right? And this kind of advice and guidance can actually be really incredibly damaging for people who maybe struggle with depression or, or some sort of mental health thing. Um, so the, and we're not going to get into kind of how that could work, but this, this scripture is clearly not about mental health. This passage is also not about bootstrapping, okay? No one person, believe it or not, even though we love the American ideal of bootstrapping, no one person can bootstrap themselves, okay? We are social creatures. We require a community to thrive. You know, one of my favorite things that are, not favorite, but I, it, it's funny to hear is when people talk about how, how they're a self-made millionaire or self-made man or self-made whatever. Nobody's self-made. You exist in a context, a culture, a society that you live in, and somebody helped you along the way. You write a book. I mean, you, somebody gave, me, gave you a little bit of money or who knows what. I mean, the fact that you even can speak a language or read or drive from one place to another means that somebody helped you along the way right? We all live in a community. We all get help from one another in some way or some form or fashion. So this passage is not about bootstrapping. We can't just buck up and make it happen, okay? And also, if you're using this passage to say that, it can be very discouraging to somebody who's maybe been beat down a lot, 
who's had a lot of rough things happen in their life, who've been dealt sort of a, a rough hand. So that's not what these passages, that's not what this passage is talking about. Let's look at what this context, context this passage actually is. So if you read kind of consistently throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul is constantly defending himself and his authority as an apostle. You see, there were other philosophers and speakers in Corinth, and some of them were probably much better at speaking and being kind of energetic or whatever and cool looking than Paul. Paul actually describes himself in the same book here as jar of clay, right? He's nothing fancy. His ministry is nothing fancy, nothing to look at. And some of these other guys in Corinth were probably really good speakers. Okay, so here's how this works. In a lot of Greek cities, and in particular Corinth, Corinth was a very popular city for this to happen, is they would have traveling speakers, traveling philosophers, who would come and speak in the forums and tell them whatever the latest, greatest, coolest, newest thing they had. And they would, they would talk, and sometimes they'd banter back and forth and go through different arguments about philosophy or about some sort of new teaching. And this is what would go on, like, all the time. And so Paul rolls up into Corinth and kind of assumes that same position, goes into forum, and he's like, hey, guys, I got this new, this new thing, and his name is Jesus, and he's come to redeem the world, and you guys are all lost, and we need to, you know, see that Jesus is our only way to God and so on and so forth. So th that's, where, that's where Paul sits. But then somebody else might come up after him and be like, nah, I don't listen to that guy. It's all about stoicism. That's where it's at. Or that some other guy comes up and he goes, no, it's all about Plato. He was the best. Or, or whatever, right? So they're, they're having these competing things. And so the Corinthian church is like, I don't know. Maybe Paul's wrong. I mean, this other guy over here has a better speaker. And Paul's bald and he's short. And, you know, I don't know. I don't really like him. This other guy's cooler. Right? So you can see how there's a warring between different speakers, okay? So the, the thoughts here, when it, it says here in, uh, where is it here? Uh, verse uh, 5, towards the end there, take every thought and make it captive. These thoughts that Paul was speaking of were sort of ideas or philosophies that undermine Paul's authority in the church. And the we that Paul mentions here, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, uh, we take captive every thought, and we will be ready to punish. He's, I mean, really specifically and contextually, he's talking about himself, Paul, and his companions, his fellow companions. He's saying, we take these thoughts, these ideas from these other philosophers, and we shut them down. We tell them, no, it's all about Jesus, okay? That's what he's saying contextually. He's literally saying that kind of stuff. So these, and these arguments that are, he's talking about being destroyed are not only of these um, other philosophers, which also earlier in this book, Paul refers to as super apostles, guys who are cooler and talk better than him, uh, but also what we know of as the Judaizers, who were kind of a traveling band of Jews who would teach that being a Christian requires that you first obey the Mosaic law, which means you have to get circumcised, you have to follow the rituals, you have to wear certain kinds of clothing, you got to, you know, practice the Sabbath, you got to do all these certain things first, and then you can get baptized as a Christian. That's what these guys were teaching. And these guys, you know, you'll see them throughout Paul's writings. He's constantly battling the Judaizers. But here in Corinth, he's also battling these super apostles, these other guys 
who were, who were talkers and, speak, and speakers of, of different philosophies. So why did Paul have to defend himself? What, what did people think of Paul and his ministry? I mean, how do we know that they didn't really think much of him and thought maybe these other guys were, were better? Well, let's, let's jump ahead here. Let's go to um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. He says, You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider anything that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to, try, uh, to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. This is what they're saying about Paul. Such people should realize that we, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. I mean, Paul's kind of laying them out. He's saying, yeah, you heard that I'm like this weak sauce guy who doesn't really have any convictions and maybe I'm not a great speaker. But let me tell you, what I write about these letters, I can deliver. When I show up, I'm going to show you that I'm the real deal. I'm Paul and I have this authority to be able to teach you guys these, script, these scriptures and teach you about Jesus and that you can't, you can't listen to these other guys. Like, I'm Paul and I'm an apostle. I'm trying to help you guys. You've got to listen. You've got to listen here. And this is, this, is, uh, this is Paul defending himself. And um, this, now that we kind of understand the context that Paul is trying to defend his apostleship here to the Corinthians and they shouldn't be following these alternate philosophers and so on, now we can take a step and figure out, okay, what does that mean to us today? What does this passage mean for us today? Should this passage just simply mean be a, a feel-good philosophy of just take captive your thoughts so that you can feel better and think correct thoughts and be righteous in your thinking? Well, that's good, but that's not exactly what this passage is trying to teach. If we dig a little deeper, we realize that this passage is talking to us about how there is a specific role for pastors, for elders, so on in the church to defend these kinds of false teachings that are out there. There are guys out there who, believe it or not, are better preachers and better speakers and more charismatic than me or even Kevin. Believe it or not, there are guys out there that are better speakers. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a good speaker. It matters if you preach the Word of God and you teach it correctly. That's the point. So the role of a... And I take this very, very seriously. This is the reason why, like, when I feel I'm very humbled to be up here every time because, you know, the scriptures say that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Like, I have a very important role, and that is to teach God's word, and hopefully I'm doing it correctly. And that's also the reason why you guys need to go back home and study the scriptures and make sure what I said was true. Because for all you know, I'm teaching you a bunch of baloney, right? In Acts 17, um, the Bereans from, from the town of Berea were lifted up as being more noble than the guys in Thessalonica. And the reason why is because they would go back home and they would check to see, read the scriptures and see if what Paul had taught them was actually true. They wanted to make sure. They're like, yeah, Paul, that's cool. Great, great philosophy. You're a very wise 
rabbi, trained under Gamaliel, a member of the Pharisees. Pretty smart guy. But I'm, just to make sure, I'm going to go back and read the scriptures for myself. And we should all do the same. But the role of a pastor and elder are very, very important. And that is to make sure they teach correct doctrine and hold all of us to that same standard. And I, I've said this before, but, you know, I, I pray for this congregation. I know you guys are, you know, there's a lot going on with SEC and the Mennonite USA and some of the stances they're taking. And it's very important that we stand for what's scripturally right, for what's established orthodoxy, and that we stand for what's right in the scriptures. And that's not always popular. It's not what everybody always wants to do. But that is what's important. And that's what we have to call each other to do. And, and it, it's not always pretty. It's not always easy. But that's what we're called to do. And the role of a pastor and elder is supposed to help in that. So these demolishing these strongholds, these taking these captives, is really the way we should look at it. it isn't as some individual kind of bootstrap, buck yourself up kind of thing. It's, it's a collective community. You know, we, we were just talking earlier this morning about how Bible study groups and so on, those are great opportunities for us to read the scripture, to reflect on it, and then discuss it in community. Because maybe you read the passage and you didn't quite understand it, and now maybe you've misapplied it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All it takes is one degree off to be way off by the time you get down the road, you know? So having that community to bounce ideas off each other is really what's important. And I hope I'm doing that for you guys today, and I hope this series has been helping you guys as well, which is taking a passage and something that's been maybe misapplied or misquoted and just adjusting it just ever so slightly so we can get back on track and stay on the straight and narrow. That's the key. Most false doctrines that exist out there today weren't because somebody just had some evil intention or was like, hey, I think I'm going to go worship Satan today. No, it's usually because they're just a little bit off and then, you know, decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years down the road, they've just gone way off path. All it takes is one degree off. And that's the reason why it's so important for us to teach from the scriptures and to learn about the scriptures from one another in community. And that's really what this passage is talking about. You know, we live in a highly individualistic country. In fact, there have been studies done on different cultures in different parts of the world, and the United States ranks as the most individualistic country in the world, by the off-the-charts individualistic. So it is, we, we need to understand kind of our own biases, kind of our own where we exist, and that's the world we, we exist in right now, is everybody in this room is predisposed culturally to be individualistic, to think about yourself first. I mean, we say that in America all the time, right? So if we know that, then we should, as we apply the scripture, we should be like, okay, how can I apply the scripture in community so that I can be very careful that I obey God's word and live it out in power? That's the key. That's the key. We can't just do it all in a bubble. Nobody here has a hotline to God. We all collectively, through the Holy Spirit, work together as a community to live this kind of stuff out. You know, it's true that Jesus, we should let Jesus be Lord of all aspects of our life. 
it's true that we should let Jesus control all of our thoughts. But I don't know about you, but for me, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes I have evil thoughts. Sometimes I think something wrong. Like sometimes I have a greedy moment. Sometimes I'm impatient with my daughter. Sometimes I get angry at my wife. My thoughts are not always perfect. And I can't just will myself into having correct thoughts. So it's true that Jesus needs to be Lord of my life and my thoughts and stuff, but in reality, he isn't. This passage, once again, is not the proper application for this truth. There are tons of other passages about that, about praying in the Holy Spirit, listening to the Romans 8, talking about how the Holy Spirit prays and groans that we don't understand so that we can somehow change to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of other passages that talk about that, but this is not the one to really apply to that one, okay? We must be careful to understand the context of Scripture before we apply it to our lives. I think that's the kind of the key of this whole series of misquoting God is understanding that. We have to understand the context before we can apply it to our lives. We have to be careful not to fall victim to what people call proof texting, which is where you just find a scripture or a passage that kind of suits your need or suits your point, okay? We see this consistently just all over on Facebook, social media, the regular media, where they'll soundbite things or take things out of context to, to, to you know, say, see this, is, see this way? This is the correct way. And, of course, this is where conspiracy theories come from and so on. You know, it's very, very easy to proof text. You can get the Bible to say whatever you want if you proof text. I mean, really. You can say, go jump off a cliff. It's the spiritual thing to do. You can find passages that will teach you that that's correct. But proof texting is not how we understand the Scriptures. The Scriptures are supposed to be read in a meditative way so that we, it washes over us all day, every day. So that not only do we learn more about the Scriptures, but the Scriptures change us because we meditate, we immerse, our, we steep ourselves in these passages. And we have to devote ourselves to our church community. You know, this is something I, I was just talking to my wife about this this morning. This is something that I feel like I've really come to realize the importance of in the last few years, especially because the pandemic. We've been in our living rooms, tuning into live stream church or pre-recorded church or whatever, and we don't get to bounce those idea of, ideas off each other as much as we did before. And I've come to realize how important the church community is so we can bounce these ideas off each other and grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the scriptures collectively. So it's, it's great to study the scriptures. The scriptures are our bedrock of our foundation, our faith. But this community is just as important in our uh, ability to walk the correct path and to, to move forward and to, to glorify God. Um, so I, I hope that just taking this little passage here today and understanding its context will teach us to... to um, Take any scripture that we hear all the time and then look at the, look at the context, look at what it meant to when it was written, and then how can we apply it in our lives today. We've got to take captive every scripture and make it obedient to its context. Thank you, guys.